Now we're talking ISO 45003 that I highly recommend people look at, or you can talk to people like me who can break it down into regular language. Those three components of psychological health and safety, which are the structure, the environment, and the expectations of behavior. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome to We're Only Human. I'm really glad that you're here with us and looking forward to a fun conversation today. We're gonna to dive into resiliency. Why in the world out of everything that could possibly be on your radar and something for you to focus on that this needs to be something on your list. And here to convince us of that, we have Alessandria. She's gonna dive into this. She's gonna give us some insights and I'm so excited. We. We were having so much fun on the pre-show that I'm like, if we don't hurry up and start, we're going to run out of time just to actually do this. So I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we get into all this, this fun stuff we're going to talk about, would you take a minute and give the audience a little more about who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Dr. Alessandria Palizzi. I'm the CEO of Verdant Consulting, and we offer resiliency training, psychological safety, emotional agility training, and help teams avoid burnout and unlock their potential. My background is 20 years in organizational development, talent management, leadership development for a wide variety of companies across 15 different industries. And when I saw where we were headed from both a mental health perspective, but also from a leadership capability perspective, I decided to step away from my executive career and focus on what I do best, which is helping people learn skills and tactics to help them thrive. And so that is what we do. So I'm not a doctor, but I'd love to, to get this input from you really quickly. So we're gonna talk about resiliency in this conversation. You've already keyed in on that's what you do. That's one of the things that you focus on. And it seems to me as an outside observer, just watching humanity, right? I, my background in HR. And so some people have a natural amount of this or some it's probably a spectrum or a threshold where they have a higher threshold of, I'm a little more resilient than others. And I don't know if that's true, if that's just a weird perception. Is that accurate? Is there anything to back it up? Or is that just a random observation from an HR guy that needs to be dismissed completely? <laughs> I would like to dismiss that. So resiliency okay. is not something you're born with. And your resiliency in one situation may be abundant, but in another situation may be quite meager. So I think it depends on the situation. It depends on who you are. It depends on your background and experiences. We all have those things that trip us up. I call it our kryptonite because I'm a nerd. And the fact that we try to pretend like they aren't there is actually the more the dysfunction than understanding that we have the dysfunction in the first place. Excellent. And by the way, you mentioned you're a nerd. You're, the ISO thing pointed that out way earlier in the conversation. Now we're just waiting for the trifecta of a Star Wars or a Star Trek reference. Oh, and I can go there. Or video gaming. Okay. Okay. We'll make sure and cover that at some point. Of all the things you could direct your life to, you said you you had come to this point where you realized that I want to step out of what I was doing and go into the direction. Why in the world would you pick this? Because of the problems that I'm seeing in the workplace. I had my own personal experience with burnout a year ago. And when I went to look for a solution, 
I came up very empty handed. I talk about this all the time. So my options were pretty meager and not really functional for someone who was in burnout and looking for tactics and skills that were science-based. And so I wasn't looking to have a spiritual awakening. I wasn't looking to become best friends with an app. I really just wanted to have pragmatic skills that would help me perform better, respond differently to stress. And as we saw people coming out of what we thought was going to be the post-pandemic last spring, we were still struggling with this, what they call the second pandemic of our mental health crisis. But as we round into 2022, to me, what this has become is these are the leadership skills and capabilities we need for today's workforce. We are facing unprecedented change and generation-defining experiences and we don't have the skills to be able to navigate that in a way that's fully effective. And so those skills exist, those tactics are known, they've been scientifically proven. And so now we just need to equip people with those so that they can thrive. Last year, we had a mental performance coach on that does a lot of work with sports teams and things like that and helping with youth sports and trying to help, help them understand that mental performance is a big part of this. And that was when I realized just how important some of these things are because we all, everybody out there, there's not a person listening right now that would say, wait a minute, you mean stress actually affects me? Or hold on a second, I'm not the as, as capable as I thought that I was because I'm carrying this extra burden. One of the things that he said though, that, that triggered that for me is when you think about your performance as primarily mental and the work we do as HR leaders, especially, right, you've been there. Our work is primarily mental. Not many of us are asked to lift a dumbbell or to run a sprint or whatever else day to day. When you start thinking about it that way, that's for me what made that shift and why this is so important. It's not just a, oh, another soft and, you know, well, let's hug each other and we'll all win. But you said the science is there, it's proven. Can you give us a couple of examples of maybe an exercise or a skill building activity we can do that? wraps into this. How do you help someone deal with it? Because it seems like stress, burnout, you know, all those difficulties are just a given. It's yeah. just what it is. And yeah. or a badge of honor. Ooh. My, so, my heart's heavier than yours. Or, oh, I'm so Ooh. burnt out. I'm so busy. I'm so important and therefore valued. And they won't get rid of me because I'm amazing. So the number one skill that you can practice that will help you immediately is self-compassion. And I don't mean self-care. I don't mean self-pampering, self-compassion. And there are three components to self-compassion. Number one is speaking to yourself like you would your best friend. And the thing is, you say there's nobody listening to this who doesn't think that they experience stress or that things are difficult. Yes, but they think that they're alone. And so that connection to other people is another form of self-compassion. And then the third piece is mindfulness, which doesn't have to be meditation. I hate meditation. I will be very clear, but getting grounded, present, connected, listening to yourself, those things help you build the resiliency that will help you bounce back. And there are so many studies that show the physiological changes that happen in your brain. You create new neural pathways. You tap into the, what they call pro-social affect or pro, that positive affect, which is basically happiness. And you tap into that nurturing part of your brain when you take care of yourself. So studies show that if you practice self-compassion, speak to yourself like with kindness and withhold judgment. You will have better relationship with the people around you and you'll be better able to respond when you're faced with challenges. That's incredible. Can I tell you, for the people out there that can't see my face right now, I made a face when you said self-compassion because I've never heard that phrase in my entire life and I heard it for the first time about two hours ago. I was really? on I was listening to a podcast about Dan Pink's new book and the, he mentioned self-compassion. 
wait a minute. And so when you said that, I'm thinking, okay, when two smart people say it, it's got to be true. Oh, is there a smart person coming? When are they joining? <laughs> the invite went out, whether they show up or not, that's on them. No, that, I love this because the way that I've heard my friend who does a lot of counseling, the way he says it, he says, you talk to yourself so much worse than anyone else would talk to you. Exactly. And if you could, if you saw someone else talking to a friend the way you're talking to yourself right now, you would whack them in the head and say, what's wrong with you? And yet, for some reason, we think it's okay to do that. So I love that. I won't say it's simple. That's it one is. way within reach for every person out there right now listening that you can adjust and think differently. And yeah, so- it, that was an epiphany for me, Ben, was, and it was this phrase exactly. It was self-coaching versus self-criticism. And when I saw that, I thought every leader needs to know that, that they need to understand that being a leader is difficult. I need to accept that. Yes, I'm going to be challenged. You're asking me to be vulnerable and give and give. I don't get back. These are all weights that we carry as leaders and we don't give ourselves enough credit and space to appreciate that. And then again, treat ourselves with that self-compassion. So that was very, that's when I made the decision. When I read that, that's when I decided to change my career. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. So for the, the people listening to this right now, we keep talking about them. You're out there. You're listening right now. You hear me. For those people that are here, this has applications for themselves individually. And you just talked about that. Talk about this self-compassion. How do we how do, we do that? But there are other things they could probably be doing at work or encouraging their managers to do at work because we know that they could be the source of some of that stress, likely. There's some things they could be doing to make this a higher priority in the workplace. What levers should they be pulling to do that? Is it talking about this is the cost of us not having a workforce that is resilient? Is it people are burning out and turning over and then it's causing even more stress on the people who are stuck around? What's the answer to that? One, we do have a calculator on our website. So if you want to go to verdantconsulting.net, make the case, you can click that link. And we have a calculator that shows the financial cost and risk of not investing in the emotional well-being of your workers and teams. So there's that. There, The data is just prolific that shows the financial cost of not investing in the high performance of your organization. And so if you haven't caught on to that yet, you're hiding from it because it's everywhere. He just put out a study that showed the great resignation, the root causes. You're 10 times more likely to resign in a toxic culture, but you're also 3.2% times, sorry, not percent times more likely to resign if you're an innovative company. And we think of innovative companies as being like high engaged and high dynamic, et cetera. What would that be? You can't be innovative without psychological health and safety. So you have to have both in order to be innovative and to have performance. And so what happens is we want the one without the other. There's a lot of places to go to get the data, to make the business case why this is worth the investment. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Psychological safety as a foundation leads to a company where innovation can flourish. A company that seeks innovation without having psychological safety will may get some for a bit and then it quickly tapers off and disappears. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I can't make mistakes, if I can't ask questions, if I can't raise issues, those are the requirements. And this isn't, oh, again, some woo hippie solution. We're talking ISO 45003 that I highly recommend people look at. Or you can talk to people like me who can break it down into regular language. But it talks about those three components of psychological health and safety, which are the structure, the environment, and the expectations of behavior. And I think a lot of times we hear those terms and we go, oh, it's about being nice and 
hugging everyone. And that's not, in fact, that's the opposite. That's pretending like we don't have conflict, which is also equally dysfunctional and called toxic positivity. So there's ways that you can do it that are very science-based, analytical, and proven to have results. Again, you're steep in this area. So as the person who has this, I want to say passing interest, but this passing like understanding, this casual understanding of psychological safety, the conversation around that exploded when Google's data came out saying, hey, we found out this is a predictor of high performance teams. And then everybody wants to talk about psychological safety suddenly because Google said it was, but they didn't make it so. It was already that way. They just said, hey, we found this out and we realized that it was a priority for us. What's your take on that as someone who's, again, you're Dr. Alessandria. What is your take on that when you have spent so much time here in this? The data were were around before that, but now it's become more of a conversation, but not everybody has probably bought into it as fully as they should have. No, they haven't. And I'll never forget this. I've shared this story before. I was at a, a, several years ago, before the pandemic, in the before times. And I had mentioned psychological safety to an older gentleman, experienced CHRO, and just the visceral angry reaction of like, how dare people be asking for all of this nonsense? So I think there's this fear. Like I say, I jokingly say, I need to create psychological safety to talk about psychological safety because people are threatened by emotions, or I don't know what it is that that makes people afraid to address it. Maybe because emotions are messy and we're just, it doesn't feel like something we can get our arms around, but we know from the science that address, not addressing the fact that you have emotions is actually the dysfunction. Acknowledging that we're humans who spent 200,000 years trying not to get eaten by the tiger. And those are the brains that we have. And so those brains are wired to feel fear, feel anxiety, protect us from harm. And it doesn't matter. Our brains don't know, doesn't, our brains don't know if that harm is real or imagined. In fact, they show on scans, I show in the class, this one study where it shows thinking about moving my finger and moving my finger and the patterns in the brain are exactly the same. But just like on the negative side, the feelings of fear, the feelings of concern, the feelings of worry are real. They're all real. Attachment, the feelings of joy, the feelings of I'm doing work that matters and there's a purpose to it. Those feelings are real too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you were gonna give a recommendation to all of our friends in the HR community that are, that are, that have, okay, they're in the fan club for Alessandria now. What, <laughs> what recommendation would you give them? What's something practical? You gave them an idea earlier about how to think about the self-compassion piece that I think is important, but anything else you'd share with them as a, here's a good takeaway for you. Welcome to this conversation. Don't just say, oh, that was neat and get back to work, but what should they do? So again, having been that person a year ago, right, as the head of HR, The first thing is to assess how open your executive team is to these concepts, because without that, it's a, it's pretty futile. So if they're interested in the humanness of your employees, they understand the complexity of the human character. They want people to, they really truly want people to be the best versions of themselves because they know the financial benefit to their business and the decrease in risk, by the way, because there's a lot of cost to ignoring that. And they want to get ahead of the great resignation and they want to drive all the things that we all idealize. Then you're ready to kick this work on. But without that, you really, it's not really worth the time. You said it earlier, acting like you care, but not really caring is worse than doing nothing at all. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I think that's, that's encouraging. I think that's encouraging though, because the people that I know that get into the space don't do it because they say, let's win at all costs. 
forget the people. No, they do it because they say, we want to influence the business through better people practices. And sometimes it's, they need the voice of reason to say, hey, by the way, this also includes something like this. And we had an episode recently on some mental health research we had done. And I said, the picture in my head that stands out the most from that research was if you lined up every employee at your organization from someone out there listening right now, every person, line them up in your head and draw a line straight down the middle between them, separate half of them, one out of every two people in the last 18 months thought about quitting their job because of mental health issues and stress. So just if nothing else from that, everything else that Alessandria said today has matters, right? Yeah. Well, ties into those people are saying, they're not saying, Hey, I'm leaving because I want to get paid more. Some of them are right. But they're saying, listen to me, please recognize that this, this is me saying I need something from you. And if you don't, then someone else will scoop them up. They'll find somewhere else to work and, or they'll quit and stay, which is possibly worse. You just put on your website about why people quit. And you said, number one, cause was stress and burnout. And then number three was leadership and culture. And MIT had very similar. And my thing is this, if you're expecting people to drive change and absorb change, when they've had to absorb exponential change in their lives, their brains don't know the difference between a work change and a home life change. And to expect to have successful innovation or any kind of change initiative to pivot your business on top of curated experience and change. It's a non-starter. So you need to give people the skills to be able to navigate that change. And that's why I strongly believe that building those resiliency skills is the way to do that. I was trying to dig a stat up really quickly. One that I thought you'd appreciate. (laughs) We're dueling stats nerds over here. See, there's your nerd (laughs) trifecta for you. One of the things that we found in our research last year that floored me, we did some digging into learning. Okay. And we asked learners about how they felt about their companies, training the offered and things like that. Did your company help you transition during the last year and a half during the really tough times we faced? And the, one of the things that got me is I was thinking we were going to get things back from this. Like, oh, I like content or I like experiences, right? It's just some surface level things. One of the big, the biggest takeaway that struck me is people were, if they said my company offered me training and the tools and the resources I needed, they were, 600% more likely to say that their company helped them during the toughest time to adapt and change. And that paints this picture of just what you're saying here. This is more than just a little microcosm of the rest of your life, one little snippet. It's impacting them with this, with these kind of skills you're talking about, affects every interaction, every relationship, every everything about who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not, again, when we talk about this type of education and these tactics, it's really about how do I respond when I'm stressed? What's happening when I respond the way I do? And then how, physically how do I adjust that so I can bounce back quickly when I'm faced with challenges, whether those challenges are real or imagined. And so again, they're very simple tactics that people can use. I gave the self-compassion one early and most of it is the, are the simple things. What's important to me and my goals? How do I make prioritization decision? And just taking a breath, but we just don't, we don't, Again, we don't teach those things and people don't learn them organically. It's not like you just wake up with that. No, what we know organically to do is go run and hide <laughs> <laughs> or fight or flight, like you said, or freeze or fawn or the other two. But yeah, that's why giving people these skills is, I think, a huge differentiator for brands because then that's where they'll have leaders who will stay. They'll have companies, they'll have employees and team members who will stay and they'll have companies that can thrive. 
Excellent. This has been so tremendous. If someone wants to follow you, you mentioned the website earlier. I'll make sure to get that in the show notes. Um, is that the best way for people to connect with you though? Or do you have another social platform you prefer? I'm on LinkedIn all the time. If you look under Verdant Consulting, that's easier than trying to spell my name. But you can also use the hashtag B underscore Verdant. So you can find me that way as well and listen to my podcast called Be Verdant, where we talk about all of this and more. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you again for joining me, for sharing your passion for this and a little bit of nerdiness too. We'll take all that in addition. This has been a ton of fun and I've enjoyed this. Me too. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Everybody else out there, practice a little bit of self-compassion today. You got the encouragement to do that. Thank you for joining us on We're Only Human and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.